Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Discovery Point Church. How is everybody doing today? It's good to see you here. You know, I can always tell when fall is here. Yesterday, I went outside to my truck and immediately my sinuses closed up and my eyes started to itch and my, my hair started to itch and um, I noticed my, my, my truck was colored in with this yellow golden sheen and I spent the, the, the next half an hour to an hour scratching and crying and, and blowing and wiping and so happy fall. Fall is here in Arizona. But you know what, we look forward to this time when the heat's gone and we can enjoy being outside. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me as we get into God's word? Father, thank you for uh, just a time to be reminded that, Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one, absolutely no one comes to the Father except by you. And Lord, as we embark upon the issue of death and dying today. I pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts, uh, that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say about the subject. And Lord, if there's someone here who does not know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself for your own glory. So Holy Spirit, take control, use me, speak through me for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the glory of the Father and for your glory. Today we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter Marshall, in his book, John Doe Disciple, Sermons for the Young in Spirit, tells the story, or better yet, the old legend of a merchant in Baghdad who one day sent his, his servant to the market. And before long, the servant came back white and trembling and in great agitation. And he said to his master, down at the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when I turned around and saw that it was death that jostled me, well, she, she looked at me and made a threatening gesture. So master, please, the servant said, lend me a horse, for I, I must make haste to avoid her. I will ride to Samara, and there I will hide, and death will not find me. And so the merchant lent his servant the horse, and the servant galloped away with haste. Later on, however, the merchant went downtown to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd. And he went over to her and he asked, why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture? That was not a threatening gesture, death explained. It was only a start of surprise, for I was astonished to see him in Baghdad for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. All right. <laughs> Here's the point. All of us have an appointment with death, with death. Unless Jesus tarries, each and every one of us will meet death. We don't know how, don't know by what means, and we don't know when. But we will all one day have an appointment with death. 
And if you're wondering, we are returning to our series, Timely Questions, where we've been looking at these Christian issues that take more than one or two minutes to to, to talk about and to explain. And uh, if you've been with us for any time, our very first series was on Is God Sovereign? And we learned through the scripture that God is indeed sovereign, that God is in control of each and every event, everything that happens within the world, God is in total control. Everything that happens in all of creation, God is in control. Now, I get it. At times, we may not understand, and it may not, it may not seem like God is in control, but God is, in fact, sovereign. We also saw that the scriptures, God's very word, that it can be trusted, that it is his word to his creation. It is his word to his church. It is his word to his people, and he has told us how he expects us to live our lives how he expects us to conduct ourselves, how he expects us to love one another. And we learn that we can trust God's word. We also saw that God is intolerant. That is, Jesus has said that there is one way to God the Father, and that is through him. That he is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to heaven and without him you cannot get to the father you cannot get to heaven and we learn that there isn't there aren't many ways to God there is only one way and that is through Jesus Christ today we're going to answer the question what happens after we die and I've learned that there are a great myriad of opinions about what happens when we die And I was astonished that there were so many people who had differing opinions about what happens after death. And so today we're going to answer the question, what happens after we die? Some say that, well, we we simply go to sleep, that when we breathe our last and we die, our soul simply sleeps until the day of judgment. Jehovah's Witnesses uh, hold this belief, along with Seventh-day Adventists, that when we die, we simply, we snooze until the day of judgment. Others say that after our time of soul sleep, that we simply cease to exist after the judgment, that we, our soul sleeps, we wake up, we get judged, and then we simply go into everlasting nothingness. It's called annihilationism. Uh, we just simply cease to exist. Some say that th- we get reincarnated, that if you've lived a good life, you can come back as another person or a cat or a dog or, or whatever it might be, but we, our, our soul leaves this body and it enters another body, and then we get to live another life over and over and over again until we finally reach nirvana and, and one with the universe. Still, some believe that there's a second chance at salvation after we die. Namely, the Catholic Church teaches the doctrine of purgatory where Jesus kind of paid for part of our sins and then we have to pay for the other half in purgatory. Second Vatican Council II says this about purgatory. They say the truth has been divinely revealed that sins are followed by punishments. God's holiness and justice inflict them. Sins must be expatiated. This may be done on this earth through the sorrows, miseries, and trials of this life, and above all, through death, not to mention forgiveness from the Catholic Church. Otherwise, 
the expiation must be made in the next life through fire and torments or purifying punishments. And this is for the believer. It's as though Jesus didn't pay it all on the cross. That he only paid part of our sin debt. And we have to pay the rest. And then still there are others who say concerning what happens after we die, everybody goes to heaven because we're Americans, right? And because we've been good Americans and we've, we've, we were Boy Scouts when we were younger, we all get to go to heaven. You know, there's a very popular pastor who wrote a very popular book entitled Love Wins who came to the conclusion that everybody goes to heaven when they die. Christians, non-Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, New Agers, because God is love, love wins, and therefore everybody goes to heaven, whether you trust Jesus Christ or not. But what does the Bible say? Oh, one more thing I almost forgot. One thing is for sure, and that's this that we will not be little, fat, fluffy angels with butterfly wings sitting on clouds, strumming harps throughout eternity. I mean, can you see me as a blonde? A little fat? And just, no, I just hate to think about it. But what happens when we die? Is death all there is, or is there something more? Well, let's turn to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about what happens when we die. And the first thing I want us to understand is this, is that death is not the end. Death is not the end. In Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 42, it'll be on the screen behind you, Jesus is on the cross. He is paying for the sins of the world. And one of the thieves who was, who was hanging there with him says this to Jesus, in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, this is Jesus talking, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus intimates that after death, that there is something more, that death is not the end. The apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul is on the, on the verge of being executed for his faith, and he is about to lose his life, he is writing to Timothy, his protege in the faith, to encourage him. And look at what Paul tells Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse, beginning with verse 5. He tells Timothy this. He says, But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there was laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. And Paul had this expectation of something more after he would lose his life. He had this expectation of being in the presence of Jesus and receiving his reward for his service. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 27, tells us this. He says, And insomuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. And so the Bible tells us that there is something more that happens after death. 
that we don't simply sleep, we don't simply cease to exist, that there is something more, that there is a life after death. Would you agree with that? Amen. But the writer of Hebrews says that after death comes judgment. Well, what kind of judgment? Well, there are two types of judgment. One judgment is for believers. The other judgment is for non-believers. And I want to look at what happens to the non-believer first. Because once they die, they go to face the judgment. And it's in two phases. Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 16 in your Bibles? Luke chapter 16. I'm going to start in verse 19. It's a, it's a very popular passage. But Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus is telling uh, a story. And we're not sure if this is a parable or an actual event, but it's, it seems to be an actual event. And here's what Jesus says, Luke chapter 16, verse 19, concerning the judgment for non-Christians. He says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Verse 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was very paid close attention. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. I want to make some observations from the text. Now, simply this. When Lazarus died, when the poor man died, the text, Jesus says that he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom or, or paradise in the Old Testament. But the rich man, it says that he was buried and having closed his eyes on this side of life, he opened them on the other side of life, and he lifted up his eyes in Hades, being in torment. And this is a conscious, continual torment. And he says that, for I am in agony in this flame. He knows what's happening to him. He feels what's happening to him. And this is his punishment, if you will, for sin, for not knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I heard a pastor here recently say that when we die, we are annihilated. We simply cease to exist because spirits don't have feeling. Yet Jesus says that when the rich man died, he opened, he lifted up his eyes in Hades, being in torment. Now, i got to tell you, if God can create everything in the universe, everything that we can see and everything that we can't see, everything that we know about and we don't know about, if God can create all of that, then he shouldn't have a problem creating a soul that can feel pain. And so this rich man is in torment, ongoing, on, on, um, I'm sorry, ongoing, conscious torment. And the Bible says that all who die without, without Jesus, this will be their reality. 
is that they will spend an eternity paying for their sin. But I did say that there are two phases for their punishment, right? This is the first phase, is that they would go to Hades or Sheol or the grave where they will endure this torment until at some point in time, in eternity, things change. Will you go with me to Revelation chapter 20? It's to the right. Revelation chapter 20. Now, I get it. There's no time in heaven because heaven is eternal. But at some point in history, things are going to change. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, uh, the apostle John says this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So sometime in the future, Satan's going to come out against God, or against Jesus with the world behind him. And Jesus is going to destroy the army of Satan. And he is going to take Satan and toss him into the lake of fire. You know, it's interesting because we have this idea that Satan is the one who is in control in hell. That he's the one with his pitchfork, with his pitchfork punishing those who are in hell. But the truth is, hell was made for Satan and for his angels. And here we see that the unholy trinity, Satan, uh, the beast, and the false prophet, they are, in, they are thrown into the lake of fire. And look at verse 10 with me again carefully. They will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. That means it never ends. And they will spend an eternity paying for their sins because they have offended a holy God. But keep reading. Look at verse 11 with me. John continues, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, This is all of humanity that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in them according to their deeds. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, everyone according to their their deeds. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second phase of the punishment of those who die without knowing Jesus. They will stand before the great white throne and be judged based on what they have done. What they have done without Jesus. And they are going to come up short and be thrown into the lake of fire, um, which the Bible says is forever and ever. This is the reality of dying without knowing Jesus Christ, where you will pay for your sins for an eternity. But what happens to believers? What happens to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ? 
What happens to them when they die? What happens to us when we die if you belong to Jesus Christ? Well, go back to Luke 16 with me. I want, I want to go back and look at what happens to, to Lazarus. So go back to Luke 16. And I'm going to start in verse 22. Luke 16, verse 22. Jesus says this, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. We've read that. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. And cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. Look at verse 25 with me. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus his bad things. But now, here it is, he is being comforted there, here, excuse me, and you are in agony. Jesus says that Lazarus is being comforted. And the word can mean encouraged. And the idea is it is an ongoing, continual state of being comforted and encouraged. Lazarus is in what, what is called paradise in the Old Testament. You had two compartments where, where people would go when they die. One was paradise or Abraham's bosom. The other was, was Hades or, or the grave. And one was a place of torment. One was a place of blessing. And they could see each other, but they couldn't get to one another. And so when, when Lazarus died, he went to Abraham's bosom, to paradise, where he received comfort and encouragement. But this is before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is where the saints would go. However, after the resurrection, things changed. Will you go with me to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4. Paul tells us something very interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 8. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul suggests that when Jesus died, he went to preach to spirits in prison, and he did something more. Look at the text, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, it says, this is Paul talking, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fulfill all things. What Paul does here is he quotes Psalm 68, verse 18, which is a celebratory psalm that, that describes God coming to rescue his people, coming to save his people. And Psalm 68, verse 18 simply says, you have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Here's the idea. When Jesus died on the cross, he went to paradise to preach to the spirits that were there, but he took with him those who were in paradise to heaven so that they could be where he is. 
And so now, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we die post-resurrection, we don't go to paradise. We go directly into the presence of Jesus. Amen? That ought to be encouraging to know that when we leave this life, we don't sleep, we don't go into everlasting nothingness, but that we go directly into the presence of our Lord and Savior. You're looking like you don't believe me. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul explains exactly what happens uh, to us when we, when we die. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul tells us, beginning in verse 1, he says this, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, talking about our bodies, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Verse 4, for indeed while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, verse 6, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at, we, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And I would say to that, amen. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And Paul says that when we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. But when we leave this body, when this body dies, our soul goes home. Remember, this is not our home. Pastor Gregory last week reminded us of that this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And when we breathe our last in this life, we open up our eyes at home, at heaven, with the Lord. Amen? So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul says. But it doesn't stop there. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter. Look, look at verse 10 with me. I'm sorry. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul says that it is necessary that you and I, when we leave this life, that we stand before the bema or the judgment seat of Christ where he is going to reward us for our service to him while in this life. That we are going to receive that which is due. And this judgment is not about our salvation. That's a done deal. However, it is about our service. How did we serve Christ while in this life? Or did we serve Jesus while in this life? And that is going to be our judgment. And based on what we did, good or bad we will receive a reward, hopefully. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's to the left. 
And Paul gives us some particulars about this judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says this. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Here's what Paul is saying. The company that I work for, every, every May or June, we have what we call our annual review. And I will sit down with my manager, and we will go into his office, and we will shut the door, and we will review my performance for the previous year. We will talk about projects I've worked on, um, things that I've done, things I haven't done, and we will evaluate my work as an employee. And based upon my work, I might get a raise. I may even get a bonus if my work is exemplary. If my work, however, is, is poor, then I will get put on what's called a, a PIP, a performance improvement plan. And I get no raise, I get no bonus, but I'm still an employee. The same thing is true of what's going to happen to us when we stand before Jesus. He is going to examine our life. He's going to examine what we did for him while in this body. And he is going to judge the quality of our service to him. And as Paul said, uh, he's going to try it as, as though by fire. And if anything remains, then we get a reward. And if it's all burned up, well, we are still saved, but we have no reward. But we will each stand before Bema seat of Jesus Christ. I love how Jesus put it this way. Will you go with me to Matthew chapter 25? Because he makes this so clear, this idea of uh, rewards and, and loss of rewards. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking to his uh, disciples. And uh, beginning in verse 14, I want to read this so that we have a clear understanding of what our judgment is going to look like. Matthew 25, beginning of verse 14, Jesus says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another he, he, uh, two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Verse 16, Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. You with me so far? Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. 
The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And I hope and pray that we all hear that from Jesus. Verse 22, also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Look at verse 24. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, <clears throat> uh, Master, I, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hit your talent in the ground. See, uh, you have what is yours. Look at verse 26 with me. But the, his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. That's something I hope we don't hear when we stand before Jesus Christ. You knew that you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I, I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Here's the point. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has given each and every one of us at least one gift or gifts, spiritual gifts, to be used to encourage the body of Christ, to be used to encourage others, to be used to share the gospel. And if we're not exercising those gifts, if we're not serving Jesus in that capacity, then we're wasting our gifts. And one day we will stand before him and have to give an account for what we've done and what we have not done. Does that make sense? And I hope and pray that when we stand before him, that we're not ashamed. That we have made the decision today to live our lives for him, to exercise our gifts for his glory. Because there is coming a day of reckoning for us. Again, not about salvation, but it's about our service. So let me say this in conclusion. When we die, if you die today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will lift up your eyes in a place of torment after which you will be judged at the great white throne judgment, and then you will spend eternity in the lake of fire paying for your sins because you chose not to accept the gospel, that you chose to reject Jesus Christ, God's only provision for sin. However, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, and he is yours, and you were his, when you close your eyes on this, on this side, you will be in, immediately in the presence of your Lord, and he is our hope, right? Jesus is our hope, right? I hope so. I hope he's your hope. And I hope you long to see him. Because I long to see the Lord. There are days I just cry, Lord, come quickly. 
but I know I've got more work to do. That's why I'm still here. But we will all stand before him in his presence and in the presence of those who have gone on before us. The Bible says this, if, you, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, that today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised to us. Tonight's not promised to us. That right now, in this moment, is the day of salvation. Paul says this in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow morning, Lord willing, you wake up. Read the newspaper, turn on the TV, see who didn't make it into tomorrow, who had plans for tomorrow. Paul says tomorrow is not promised, and it's not too late. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is the opportunity and the time to run to Jesus. But the minute you breathe your last on this earth, it's too late. Well, what do you have to do to be saved? Well, I'm glad you asked. You remember the, the Macedonian jailer where Paul and Silas were in jail? And there was an earthquake. And the doors flew open and the chains fell off. And the jailer was about to kill himself, thinking that everybody had fled away, which would mean he would, be, he would be responsible and taken out and killed. Here's what Paul says, Acts chapter 16, verse 30. Scripture says this. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do? This is the jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And they shared the gospel. What do you have to do to be saved if you don't know? It's to believe on Jesus Christ. Well, what do we have to believe? I'm glad you asked that question. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. He talks about the scripture. Uh, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which, it, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't let today pass you by. If you have questions, uh, you can talk to me. One of my elders is here. You can talk to Jeff Lemon. We'd love to talk with you about next steps for, for getting into the kingdom before it's too late. But if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, rejoice. We don't have to fear what happens when we die. Now, Total disclosure, I worry about the manner. Is it going to be painful? Will the pain be enduring? I think about those things. But I'm not afraid to die. Because I know that once I close my eyes and I breathe my last, I will be in the presence of my Lord and Savior. My mentor, Dr. Kim Oberholzer, used to always say, we've got it wrong. We don't go to the land of the dying. We, we, we leave the land of the dying and we go to the land of the living. 
But we will live eternally with Jesus. You know, it was, it was almost, 20, almost 21 years ago when, when my mother passed away. And my dad found her at home in a diabetic coma, got her to the hospital, and we rushed from Dallas to go be at her side one week. And we were there for a number of days and had to get back to Dallas for work. It was late Sunday night and had to be at work Sunday morning, and Mom was still in a coma. And suddenly she came out of the coma. And she was coherent, and she knew who everybody was. And the family was all there, and, and we, we sat and we chatted with her. But when everybody left, I kind of stayed behind. And my mother was a believer in Christ. And I just hugged her. And she said to me, it's OK. I'm going to be all right. And I took comfort in that, remembering that she knew Jesus Christ. And I was okay. And so we headed back to Dallas, Deborah and I and the kids late that night. And at 3.30 in the morning, Monday morning, my phone rang. And I knew immediately before I answered what had happened. So my brother picked up the phone, Rod, and said, yeah, mom just passed. Okay. I said to him, I'll see you in a few days. Went to work and made arrangements to get back to, get back to, to Little Rock. And my wife will tell you, during that time, I didn't cry and I didn't grieve because I knew where my mother was. She was in the presence of her Lord and Savior. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more problems. She was in eternity with Jesus and her mother and her father. And I took comfort in that. And a week later, on the way to the church to, to bury her, for a brief period of a minute or two, I just I had a time to grieve. As we were approaching the church, and by the time we got to the parking lot, I was done grieving. Because I knew where she was. And I knew that one day I would see her again. And so if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, take courage. Because when we leave this life, we go to be with Jesus forever. And we get to see those loved ones that have gone on. And we get to be with them forever. Now, years ago, we used to sing a hymn. We don't hear much today. Uh, the refrain is simply this. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus... We'll sing and shout the victory. Amen? Amen. So if you're here today and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, rejoice. Because when you close your eyes on this side, you will be at home in the presence of our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the encouragement that your word brings. What a joy and a blessing to know that this life is not the end, that there is life eternal to come. And Father, for those who are here who belong to you, we rejoice 
knowing that we don't have to fear death. But Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them the courage to cry out to you to save them, that you would give them the courage, Lord, to come forward to talk to myself or talk to, talk to, to Jeff Lemon, one of our elders, too, so that we can give them encouragement, so that we can help direct them, Lord, to you. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the encouragement that your word brings concerning what happens when we die. Lord, we love you. And we look forward to one day seeing you face to face. And we ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.